0: Open your Bibles to Luke chapter 18. Luke 18. We, uh, uh, I didn't really have a sermon series idea in place uh, last week, but I, uh, I had a lot of fun teaching from the parables, and and I'm just trying to buy a little time for a new series, and so I'm just using parables kind of to, to help us along. I've been thinking a lot about togetherness, thinking about how we can function together, but also. Uh, our relationship to the world and the importance of our, our, our identity, our relationship with one another and how we function in the world. How do we navigate the difficulty uh, that we face? And so I, I have thought about it and I'm calling this series uh, sort of uh, stories, stories that bring us together, stories that help us to see and understand uh, our world a little bit better. And so we're going to take a look at a couple of different uh, parables as we kind of walk through this and and think about our life together. Uh, I just want you to think for a second. By your assessment... Well, that was cool. Uh, That was like a... If every time I make a good point we can make that happen, that would be awesome. All right. Uh, Anyways, uh, think about this question. Think about this for yourself. Are you... A good person? Are you a good person? Are you a kind person? Are you a generous person? Are you a good person? Let me tell you all the ways that I'm a bad person. That's not something that you hear very often, do you? It's sort of jarring to the system. But what we have created in our culture, and our mindsets, what we have done is we have permitted ourselves to believe that we're all very good people. Did anyone in here give an honest assessment or did you actually think, yeah, I'm a pretty good person, right? Maybe there's a few of you who you know, know the truth about yourselves, but all of us are, live in this sort of delusion that we're all good people. Here are some of the things that we do, and maybe you're like me. I, I play pickleball. I love pickleball. One of the things I, I do is sometimes, now pickleball is like tennis for old people. It's like tennis and ping pong. It's a lot of fun. You can join me and just say, hey, play pickleball and we'll, I'll go with you. And I'll destroy you because I'm so good at it, right? <laughs> so I'll, I'll hit the ball and I'll get it. Kyle laughed really hard because he knows the truth about that. You know, You make this really nice finesse shot and you think, As soon as you hit it and it lands, there's this moment and it's a special moment within yourself. And you think, man, that was a good shot. And you think, oh, there's no possible way they could ever return it. And you just think the splendor of the shot. It's like, did anyone else see and behold how wonderful this shot was? And you just feel so, like your chest just, puffs up, and you're just, you feel so good. And then uh, Adam Heckerman returns it, and he, like, it's a side out, and you lose. And uh, and that's my story. You marvel at your sort of accomplishments, and then there's sort of instant humiliation. This is sort of, you get lost in your own, like, sort of goodness and amazement, and it's like, man, did y'all see how great I was just right there? And only to have Utter humiliation moments later. Does anyone else have shared experiences of their own sort of self-glory and approval? Uh, Dick Stouter's raising his hand. Let it behold, Dick's being honest for finally, you know. <laughs> hey, yeah, uh, Dick's stories uh, are hilarious of times that he's done silly things. I love them. But uh, anyways, we don't have enough time for that today, Dick. Uh, but Yeah, yeah, no. Uh, but... Those, those are some of the best conversations I've had, you know, of just hearing of fun stories and brothers beating each other up and, and good stuff. But anyways, derailed. Well, this own sense of our goodness. We do a lot of things and I've been, uh, I read a book uh, and it just really helped me realize something about myself. It's called The Truth About Us. It's by a man named Brant Hansen, and I've drawn a few of uh, his insights into this to kind of, Lead us into our text for the morning. But, but he helped me see a few of the things that I do on a daily basis that sort of prop up how I make myself feel like I'm a good person. We all think we're good people. We are, we are right. We, you know, and I'm going to disprove that today that you actually are. Not. One of the things that we do, one of the things we do to pr- sort of prop ourselves up is we compare ourselves with worse people. I thought about making this point, we always have the Nazis, but I felt like that might be a little like out of context and weird, and you would have hate, hated me. So, but we always have someone who is worse to compare ourselves. Well, at least I'm not like those people. At least I haven't murdered. At least I haven't done uh, something wrong, or at least I haven't done something as bad as they've done. And so the way we sort of prop ourselves up is to feel good about ourselves and make ourselves feel like we're good is we look at people who are worse than us. Like, well, at least I'm not like them. And uh, I hope that we can have a lighthearted conversation about it because if we don't, you might leave here thinking, I don't like you. Uh, and that's not, that's not the case. I just wanted to expose what we do on a regular basis. If you compare yourself with people... To make yourself feel better about yourself, you might, might be propping yourself up to feel better about yourself. We change our belief system in order to accommodate our lifestyle. We see this on like, we see this when it happens like really bad, like you finally see the end product, but there is a slow sort of deviation of people and their morals. They make a compromise along the way, they might say, you know, I'll, I'll never, ever do this in my life. And the next thing you know, like years later, they've gone down a path where they've made one compromise after the next, and then they adjust their morals so that they can do really whatever they want to do, but it doesn't go against their conscience. They're still a good person because their sort of moral compass has adjusted to whatever decisions they want to make. So it's ways that we justify taking things. It's ways that we justify ending marriages. It's the way we justify all sorts of wrong things and evil in our life. We say, well, it's not going to hurt anybody, and we start making all of these sort of minor adjustments in our life to make sure that our morals aren't ever really compromised. We sort of just adjust our own way. We prop ourselves up in our own goodness, when we change our belief system, change our convictions to accommodate the lifestyle we want to have. We blame others. Uh, in pickleball, I like to blame my paddle. When we have a bit bad shot, um, we've got our paddles from Meijer and Walmart, and it'll make like, if you hit it in the sweet spot, it makes a... and sounds great. If you hit it off the uh, side, it makes a noise like and it doesn't like it's terrible but you blame walmart you say oh that was a walmart shot it wasn't me it was walmart it was the faulty product Uh, if you have children you're familiar with the blame game right it's not my fault they made me do it you know and we know how that goes. I mean, there was just the, all the kids said, you have to do it, you have to do it. And you know, you, So you take the extra piece of cake, and the lunch ladies get mad at you. I don't know if that happened to anybody. I mean, it didn't happen to me. But, you know, the, we blame others. We're so quick to blame people, blame situations. You get in a car accident, it wasn't my fault. It was their fault. They didn't put their turn signal on. It, you know, we bl- we're so quick to blame uh, in situations that's just like, it could never possibly be you, right? So quick to blame, so that we can maintain this sense of self righteousness, this determining that I'm a good person and I am self approved, that there wouldn't ever be any sort of contradictory thing that would happen that would make anyone or myself think otherwise about how good I am, that I would be approved. Of that I would feel uh, feel approved and accepted and loved we um, we live in a world where there is um, it 's kind of a new thing but it 's not a new thing it's it 's a thing called social media we have uh, We have ways of projecting ourselves on uh, onto an area where Like before it was just we interacted with our neighbors, but now we can stay interacting with friends and acquaintances and we have our online personas. And we have a way of sort of propping up ourselves in this and it's really an experiment on self-righteousness. Like we we post all of the highlights, none of the lowlights. Like I don't post, hey, I really struggled with sin today uh, and here's what it is. Like we don't offer that. I wouldn't anyways, and it would be crazy if you did. But, um, but we also, we, we offer up all of the highlights. It's the highlight reel. It's like, this is a moment of accomplishment. This is something that I've done that's good. This is what my kid did. This is how cute my grandbaby is. Like, all of these things. We hit the highlights. But our failures, the things that might expose our uh, the sort of disgusting things that we hate about ourselves, that we would just want to pres- presume to keep those things hidden. So we give, we give our sort of our highlight reel, but we also take on this sort of, people can take on a persona of fervent moralism, and this is what I mean by that. And there's outrage and virtue signaling, the things that we sort of do to sort of misdirect. What we do is a magic trick. Uh, there's no such thing as magic, Right? Like, we're all in agreement there. It's just sleight of hand and misdirection. Did I break someone's heart today? I'm so sorry. Oh, I just destroyed kids today, guys. I can put that on Facebook. Good person, Jordan, destroying children's dreams, one sermon at a time. Let me do that now before I forget, right? Um, put like a meme of a crying kid. That would be awesome. But uh, I went places there. But we do this. All right, so so we understand about magic being a sleight of hand and deception, just a quick misdirection. And what we do, what we do with sort of fervent moralism, and here's what I mean, like people who are a staunch sort of, uh, you know, I'm so against abortion. I'm so against human trafficking. I'm so against whatever sort of social justice thing that you might pursue, or, or we do it with some other thing and propping up a sort of like thing that we're supposed to support. Uh, you know, it's whatever hashtag is cool in the moment. And as we have these sort of things that we are passionate about, we want people to see what it is that we're passionate about so to misdirect them it's our own sort of magic trick that you would see all of these things that we're passionate about, but you wouldn't see what's truly going on inside of me and the struggles that I have. Does that make sense? It's called virtue signaling. It's like, look at how virtuous I am in this area so that you don't see the corruption of my heart and the things going on in my life. I can speak with authority on all this because this is me. This is me. And all I want you to see is that there are some areas in our life where we are quick to blame, that we are quick to sort of deceive people and try and prop ourselves up. And I want to preach to you freedom today freedom from knowing that you're not a good person. You're not good. And the Bible knows it about you. And I know it about you, but I, I know it about myself. I have spent years, and I have had mental health issues because I have felt convicted that in order for me to do this, I have to convince you I'm a good person. That I convict you that I am good. And I'm here to tell you, I'm not so sure that I'm as good as I I think that sometimes I am. And it was an insecurity. I started preaching when I was 22. That was a lot. And you guys are crazy for doing it. And that created a sort of insecurity, so then it became a pursuit of approval. It became a pursuit of prop yourself up in such a way that people would be convinced that Jordan actually lives what he preaches. That Jordan actually knows what he's talking about. And it's a path. It's a path that we take where it creates this sort of division of who we are behind the scenes and who we are on stage. Who we are online and who we are actually in person and live. Who we are in our relationships with people and who we are when we're alone. And so we become this sort of people that have to prop ourselves up so that everyone would think and know, you're a good person. Jesus has something to say to us. And he says to, he says to, just in the midst of uh, Luke 18, and um, he says, a certain ruler asked him. This is Luke 18:18. 18, 18, certain ruler asked him, "Good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life?" And Jesus says, "Why do you call me good?" No one is good except God. No one is good except God. You may have been disagreeing with me that entire time, but Jesus is telling, telling you that there is no one good except for God alone. There is only one who is morally perfect there is only one who is the true moral compass there's only one who doesn't waver in his goodness and his kindness and his graciousness his faithfulness his love his selflessness there is only one who is good and it's god alone and so we need to circle back to uh, what what brought this along and if you would uh, join me i'm going to read a parable it's a parable of the pharisee and the tax collector to some who are confident of their own righteousness. To some who just sat in church every week thinking, I'm here and I'm a good person. To those who have propped themselves up and felt confident in their own lives to say, I am good. And they look down on everyone else and they blame everyone else and they compare themselves to everyone else. And they feel good about themselves by tearing down others. Jesus told him this parable. Two men went up to the temple to pray. One a Pharisee and the other a tax collector. The Pharisee stood by himself and he prayed, God, I thank you that I'm not like other people. Robbers, evildoers, adulterers, or even like this tax collector. I fast twice a week and I give a tenth of all I get. But the tax collector stood at a distance. He would not even look up to heaven, but he beat his breast and he said, God have mercy on me, a sinner. I tell you that this man, rather than the other, went home justified before God. For all those who exalt themselves will be humbled, and those who humble themselves will be exalted. People were also bringing babies to Jesus for him to place his hands on them. When the disciples saw this, they rebuked them, but Jesus, he called the children to him, and he said, let the little children come to me, and do not hinder them, for the kingdom of God belongs to such as these. Truly, I tell you, anyone who will not receive the kingdom of God like a child will never enter it. There are things uh, that we need to address with our life, and some of it is all propped up by our pride all of it is propped up by our pride. From something as stupid as feeling proud and, and righteous and amazing at hitting a pickleball over a net to the things that prop us up to make us feel like we are self-approved, that, we are, that our assessment of our life propped up by the blaming of others and adjusting of our moral compasses and comparing ourselves and making ourselves feel superior at the expense of others. It's all rooted in pride. This pride and control. I want us to think for a moment about gossip. I want us to think about gossip and what gossip is doing. When we speak poorly of others, there are times... Uh, And just thinking about this message this week, there were a handful of times where I started to open my mouth where I wanted to speak poorly about someone else. All so that I could feel better about myself. That's what gossip is. Gossip is tearing down others so that we can prop ourselves up. Let's let's stop. (laughs) Let's stop with the pride and the gossip. These are the hallmarks of sort of self-righteousness. It dehumanizes others. My perceived righteousness comes at the expense of others. I sacrifice the reputation and the name of others so that I can feel good about me. You know, I I think about the show Hoarders. You don't have to raise your hand if you watch Hoarders. You know what I'm talking about, though. Or maybe, like, is it like the 800-pound life or... These, I don't know what the shows are. People watch them. 600, not 800. The thousand pound life. 600, whatever. Why do, why do we watch these shows? I'll say we, like I've watched it, like snippets. We watch hoarders because we want to feel good about our home. At least I'm not like them. And what we, what we say about people who are less than us or worse than us, it all comes at the sacrifice of their I- identity and their worth in God, that they are created in God's image. Yet we use them and we sacrifice them to feel better about ourselves so that we can maintain this aura and sense, I, Jordan Neckes, am a good person. And I'm better than the adulterer, I'm better than the murderer, I'm better than the hoarder. My house doesn't look like them, my car is better than them, I am better than them, I am a good person. Did you hear about them? Can you believe that they did that? I would never do that. Also, I can prop myself up to feel good about Jordan. When the scripture teaches us that humility, humility is the key to true righteousness and life in the kingdom of God. I want you to look again at the children that are welcomed to Jesus. People were bringing babies to Jesus. Like, what an image. Just bring all your kids, bring them to Jesus. And there were people saying, why are you doing this? And they were rebuking them. He said, let all the children come to me and don't hinder them. And he says, anyone who will not receive the kingdom of God like a little child will never enter it. And the way we hear this talked about, oftentimes, is about innocence. And it's interesting to me that we would pick this up and we would say, the only way that we would enter into the kingdom of God is if we are innocent like children. And it would prop up the exact opposite message of what we just read. That only, and this is me just making a a light of it, that the only way you get into the kingdom of God is if you are innocent enough to get into it. That you would be good enough to get into it. And that is the exact opposite of the reason why Luke placed this right after his conversation, or after... The parable of the Pharisee and the tax collector. Because Jesus' point is not about our innocence as in becoming child and childlike and pure, but to become like children who are humble. In our status and our culture, children, they drive our calendars and we do everything for our kids. In Jesus' world, it's the exact opposite. They were second-class citizens, barely any sort of citizen rights whatsoever. They were the humblest of people to call upon. And Jesus says, I want you to have their status. I want you to be thought of like children in their humility. It's the humble who have a place in the kingdom of God. And it just, right verse before that, in verse 14, it says, I tell you that this man, rather than the other, went home justified before God. How was he justified? For all those who exalt themselves, all of those who use others to prop themselves up, all of those who look at others and tear them down to feel better about themselves, all of those who prop themselves up, they will be humbled. And the humble will be exalted. Jesus is trying to teach us that we do not live, we do not live in such a way that we prop ourselves up to convince ourselves of our own goodness. Rather, he shows us that it's the way of humility that leads us to reconciliation. It's the way of humility that leads leads us to true righteousness. It's the way of humility that leads us into the kingdom of God. That the eternal life God is offering you, the life God is offering you, is not through the expenses of others, but the sacrifice of Christ. Jesus shows us on the cross how to enter the kingdom. It's by emptying ourselves, pouring ourselves out, emptying ourselves of all pride. And so when I think about the cross, and I think about all the things that I do to prop Jordan up as a good person, all of the virtue signaling, all of the things that I do to try and make sure you know that Jordan is good, all of the blaming of others, all of that nonsense, there's no virtue signaling at the cross. There's only genuine love and forgiveness a true seeking of justice, that God would right the wrongs of the world. It's not just wishful thinking. It's not a hashtag. It is a true, genuine act of selfless kindness at the cross, of true sacrifice. It's not just virtue signaling. It is true virtue of Christ poured out at the cross. And there is no blame shifting on the cross, but it is Christ taking on all of the failures, all of it on himself. Jesus doesn't blame you on the cross. Jesus carries you at the cross. Jesus carries our sins, and he carries our death with him. There is no hint of adjusting his values and adjusting course so that he can live the life he wants, that he can avoid suffering and death. No, Christ, he takes the cup that was given him. There is no hint of Jesus considering himself better than anyone. He doesn't look at them with contempt or superiority, but with absolute compassion. Father, forgive them. They don't know what they are doing. Jesus reveals to us that the way into the kingdom is through humility. He takes on the scorn and the shame. He humbled himself even to the point of death. God's approval of you is everything. We no longer have to use people to feel better about ourselves because Christ has poured out his love for you on the cross. God's approval of you, John 3.16, is enough. And it's curious to me, the people who should be the uh, the least self-righteous, Christians, Christians should be the least self-righteous people in the world, They're some of the worst culprits of self-righteousness and self-approval. And the reason you're here today is not because you're good. The reason you're here today is because God is good. God has poured his life out for you. He has spared no expense to say how much he loves you, cares for you, and desires for you to be a part of his kingdom and a life with him. It is the humility of Christ that shows your value and your worth. And all these things we do to prop ourselves up, well, we can keep going down that path. It's been sort of like a light bulb switch for me. I'm just going to ask you, and I only touched on it, and I'd encourage you to read the book The Truth About Us by Brant Hansen. But I really want to encourage you just to think about the next time you open your mouth, the next time you tear down someone else, the next time you, know, you binge watch hoarders or whatever you're up to, think about this. Am I propping up my own self-righteousness? Am I seeking approval from others or do I have a deep sense of God's approval of me? One of the things that I think we need to do is actually transition towards what our response is. It's one thing to know that, hey, I'm not really very good, but how can I, how can I be the opposite of this? How can I be the opposite of sort of propping myself up in self-righteousness? And I, I challenge my uh, Sunday school class of high schoolers today to do this, and, and it's uh, something that I want to do in my life. I want to compliment people. I want to compliment people that sometimes I have a hard time complimenting. Like, I'm going to say something nice about the Chicago Bears today. No. No, I wouldn't go that far. But uh, I would say something kind to someone that normally I try to avoid, I have ill feelings towards, someone I feel superior to. Because when I compliment, I ascribe worth and dignity to them. Christians should be the people who ascribe dignity and worth to the broken and the hurting. Christians ought to be the people that are so filled and so encouraged by the righteousness that is given us through Christ Jesus alone that we can live generous lives of encouragement and compliment lifting others up because we see the world through a different lens we see it through the sacrifice and humility of christ why do i need to prop myself up when christ is the one who's holding me together when christ is the one who loves me and gives me his righteousness so god's approval for us is everything so i can compliment and i can encourage i can bless i can serve the best ways to sort of get out of a funk to to get our attention off of ourselves is to simply turn our attention to be a blessing of service, compliment and love. Is that what the church is known for today? Or have we been so busy blaming others, so busy shifting our thoughts and beliefs and our values? So busy trying to prop ourselves up by the sacrifice of those people. So caught up in the divisiveness and the disparaging remarks and the destruction, destructive nature of our talks. Friends, we're called to be a beacon of light of God's goodness and love in the world. and all of the posturing we've done to make ourselves feel self-approved and self-righteous. It's all meaningless. It's all hopeless. We can join in the rhetoric of who's righteous and who isn't. Self-righteousness has run amok. You think about how much it has like sort of ramped up in the last year and a half all divided over politics, all divided over who we think is right and who we think is wrong, who we think is an idiot. Replay in your mind the conversations you've had. Were you more like the Pharisee showing up to church or the sinner who barely got his foot in the door? And I will confess that more times than not, I was the Pharisee who walked in and said, at least I'm not like them. Friends, this is more than just a, hey, we gotta do better. It's just pointing out that we have these things that we've just been propping ourselves up with, and that's not what holds us up. It's the cross of Christ Paul said it exponentially better than I could ever land it. It's a perfect compliment to today's text and message. It's a reading from Philippians 2. Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians. Therefore, if you have any encouragement from being united with Christ, if any comfort from his love, We have a path we can take. We can exalt ourselves or we can let God do the lifting up. That's our choice. But let's choose today to be lifted by Christ. Let's humble ourselves before him. Heavenly Father, we love you. And we uh, so desperately need you. And that was the message of the sinner at the door of the temple. And so we come to you with his humility, his understanding of his own moral bankruptcy, his own moral depravity, his own sinfulness and brokenness, his desperate need for you. God, we live in a delusion We blame others. We compromise our morals. We adjust and make minor adjustments throughout our life to keep feeling good about ourselves. And it comes at the expense of others. It comes at the expense of you. It comes at the expense of our own identity and our own worth found in you. So Lord, for our sinfulness and our brokenness. Lord, we ask and we echo, Lord, have mercy on me, a sinner. Lord, have mercy on us. And Lord, may your forgiveness and may your love and may your approval, may your righteousness, may your goodness be what drives our lives. Lord, the engine that moves us, let it be your righteousness and your goodness. Lord, what drives us towards compassion and kindness and love and patience and humility, may it be your spirit working in our hearts and our lives. Lord, we pray for your forgiveness and we pray for your spirit. Lord, that we can be a beacon of light and unity and togetherness and kindness and patience. Lord, that it would pour out of us because your spirit is in us. Lord, we love you and we praise you. We ask for your help now. Forgive us our sins as we forgive those who have trespassed against us. Forgive us of our brokenness and our sinfulness, Lord, that we can be a blessing and encouragement and walk with you. Thank you for this day, Lord, and help us to see your goodness.